You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Right now, though, let's jump into a Bible study. Are you ready? Are you hungry for the Word of God? Uh, he has a great meal prepared for us. Let's, uh, let's bring our, get our hearts ready. And let's open up to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 22. <clears throat> the title of the message this morning is the proper response to God's love. God loves you incredibly. How are we supposed to respond to that? What is God looking for? Today we're going to look at that. We're going to see uh, Jesus is going to reveal how we are to respond, what the proper response is to his great love. Um, when you love someone, you hope that they love you back. And we're going to see that's the, the Lord's desire for us as well. But let me set the stage for where we are going and where we have been, kind of just setting it up. Uh, we're going through the, the Bible verse by verse. And here we are, we're in Matthew 22, we're going to be in verse 34, and what's happening is <clears throat> Jesus is in the last couple days of his life. It is Wednesday, and he is going to be crucified on Friday. And Jesus has these religious leaders that are against him, and they want to kill him. They're jealous of him. Uh, he has a big following. He has profound wisdom. Uh, uh, his, he speaks with such uh, unction that when he speaks, lives are transformed. And yet the religious leaders are hard-hearted and jealous and they will not receive his message. And so they are trying to lay snares for him. And they have laid several snares. Uh, they've uh, tried to trick him with these questions. Why do they want to trick him? Why do they want to lay snares for him? What are they trying to do? What are they, what, why are they asking him these questions that they're trying to set him up to, for failure? What are they trying to do? They're trying to prove that he's a false prophet. And why do they want to prove he's a false prophet? so that they can kill him. They're using religion to carry out their wicked behavior. Uh, that is uh, just a, uh, an incredibly evil place to be, uh, to use religion to justify your bad behavior. Uh, and yet that's what happens in the heart of man where... Uh, you know, we're incredibly sinful. And these so-called religious leaders are trying to snare Jesus. And we see that there's been different groups that have been trying to do it. Uh, uh, there's been the, the, the Pharisees that did it. And then the Pharisees send their disciples. And they have this unique mix with 
these Herodians were a group of the Sadducees and, and they had way different ideologies and way different beliefs and way different uh, views of God and yet they came together to try to snare Jesus. That didn't work. Then the Sadducees came. They were the ones who didn't believe in the resurrection and they put up this crazy story about a guy who's married and he dies and then his brother takes over his wife and all these things. We looked at that last week and that didn't work. Jesus gave profound answers to all of them and they were really in awe of Jesus' profound wisdom. None of their snares had worked and uh, they've tried multiple times and yet they're still going at it. Look what happens here in verse 34 where we pick up. If you're there, put your finger on 2234 and give me a big amen to let me know you're there in your Bible. I love knowing that all of you have Bibles open. I look around, I'm just in awe. I mean, I'm so blessed by you guys. Uh, Bibles open, pen and paper in hand. Um, this is a rare thing in churches today. And uh, I am so blessed by you guys. Great job. Uh, so let's, uh, let's re follow along with me as I read. Uh, verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard, the Pharisees were the religious leaders of Jesus' day. When the Pharisees heard that he, Jesus, silenced the Sadducees. The Sadducees were a different sect of religious leaders. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in spirits. They didn't believe in angels. Uh, they didn't believe in any of that. Uh, uh, when the Pharisees heard that he silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together again, to snare Jesus. In other words, they heard that the Sadducees didn't stump him, didn't, weren't able to uh, con convict him of being a false prophet. And so they gathered together, they had a meeting, and they said, hey, what can we do to snare him, to make him be a false prophet so we can kill him? Right? That's what they did. That's the meeting. Verse 35. Then one of them, a lawyer asked him a question, testing him. Underline the word testing him. Testing him. Trying to get him into a snare. Trying to trip him up. A lawyer, by the way, uh, uh, lawyers are always problematic, right? Uh, no. A lawyer in that day was different. He's not a lawyer of civil law. He's a lawyer of religious law. It means he's someone who has devoted his life to studying the laws of God. He was a religious leader who was a specialist in the word of God, right? And so this lawyer comes to him, testing him. He's working with all the Pharisees. He's going as their representative. Verse 36, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? You might want to circle the words in the law, for he's referring to the first five books of Moses, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible. He's saying, hey, in there, which is the most important commandment? Here's a guy, he's a scholar, he's a PhD, he's a lawyer, and he has made his living off of studying God's law. And now he comes to Jesus and says, which one's the most important? The lawyers, by the way, the religious uh, leaders, the, they have decided, they had counted, and they had counted the commandments of God in the first five books of Moses, in the Pentateuch. Guess how many there were? 
Close. 613. 613 commandments. And they had categorized them. If you want a list of them, uh, email me and I'll, I'll give you a list. I have all 613 uh, uh, if you're interested. But anyway, this guy who studies God's law and has categorized it and put it into different groupings comes to Jesus and says, Hey, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus, without missing a beat, again, this guy's trying to trick him. Jesus, without missing a beat, look what he answers. He says to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Mark's gospel adds, and with all your strength. And notice Jesus' words there, with all your heart. Notice the words. He repeats with all your each time, and he lists these different parts. Pay attention to them. Uh, here's what he says. This is the first and the great commandment. And the second commandment is just like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. What does Jesus mean by that? On these two commandments, loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. What does he mean by that? Let me hear from you. What does he mean hang all the law and the prophets? Originate. Okay, originate. All the laws and the prophets originate from these two things. It's good. What else? Okay, that's good, Jamel, very good. What else? It's the foundation. Who said that? It's the foundation. The love of God and the love of your neighbor is the foundation of every single commandment God ever gave. It's the foundation of every word the prophets have ever spoken. It's what the Bible is all about. And here we see the simple purity of God's love for us. This scribe, this PhD comes to Jesus and says, Hey, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus says, Oh, that you would love me with all your heart, with all your mind. The simple purity of God's love for us is just amazing. I love that about Jesus. Jesus says, Hey, uh, Here's the main thing. It's not that you would crawl on your knees through the mountains of Tibet and become a bloody mess to show your dedication to me. It's not that you would give all your goods to the poor and that you would lay down your life or that you would become a monk and isolate yourself and live a celibate life. And No, none of these things. It's a simple answer that you would love me with all your heart. The simple purity of God's love for us. It wasn't this, by the way, that you would be a really moral person. It wasn't this, by the way, that you would be really good. That you would do more good than bad. And as long as you do more good than bad, then everything's okay. No, 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 no. If that's your worldview, uh, you might be in trouble someday. You will be in trouble someday. No, no, no. The main issue in God's heart, in Jesus' mouth, right off the top of his lips, is that you would love me. Here's the main thing. Here's what I really want from you. I want your heart. I want your love. I want 
you to know my great love for you and I want you to respond to that love. I want you to consider Jesus for a moment. Oh, how amazing he is. He is a unique emblem in all of human history. Think about it. This one man comes onto the scene of human history. And he literally has the biggest impact on humanity of any person ever. Far more than any religious leader, far more than any king, far more than any emperor, far more than any world leader, far more than any world event that ever happened, the life of Jesus made a bigger impact on human history of anyone. How do you explain that? Jesus is easily, far and away, the most influential person the world has ever seen. And yet the strange thing is, is that there's no logical reason for it. Why would Jesus, of all people, have such a profound impact on humanity? All of our calendar, all of human history, either points before him or after him. How do you explain that? It defies logic. Especially when you consider who Jesus was. Because he was poor. He held no political office. He held no position of power. He had no formal education. He was born in squalor. And he learned the trade of being a carpenter. And somehow a carpenter becomes the most influential person in the history of the world? How do you explain that? What's even more astonishing is he doesn't even begin his ministry until he is 30 years old and he's crucified at 33. So his ministry was only for three years. He lived in obscurity up until that point and in three years he becomes the most influential person in the history of the world. How do you explain that? He's the focal point of all the earth. Well, there is one thing. He claimed to be the eternal God in human flesh. He claimed to be from heaven. And not only did he claim to be from heaven, but the Bible says he did all kinds of miracles, and the Bible doesn't call them miracles, it calls them signs. Signs. What's a sign? They were miracles. What were the miracles? Well, he caused the blind to be able to see. He caused the deaf to be able to hear. He called the, caused the lame to be able to walk. He caused the hard-hearted to be able to be tender-hearted. He gave life where there was death. He called things that were not as though they were. He transformed life. And the Bible calls all those things signs. Signs of what? Signs that God was here among us. A sign reveals something. A sign points to something. Here we have a sign on the door. It's an exit sign. And it tells us there's a door there. These things were signs to tell us 
The Messiah is here. God is among us. And his teaching, oh my gosh, when he spoke, lives just resurrected. The physical miracles, the physical signs were only a picture of the spiritual of what was happening as blind eyes were now seeing, as deaf ears were now hearing, as hard hearts were now receiving, as lame lives were now walking all to the glory of God. And so here uh, is just the astonishing thing about Jesus and, and, and what he did. He even foretold his death and his resurrection. He told his disciples, he told the multitudes, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be given over to the Gentiles, to the Romans. They're going to crucify me, but I will resurrect on the third day. And he even fulfilled a feast. It happened on the day of Passover, showing his divine providence over all of it. And Jesus said this as he told his people uh, about his death and his resurrection. He said, I tell you these things, this is verbatim, I tell you these things before they come to pass, so that when they do come to pass, you will believe that I am God, that I am he, right? And so this was Jesus. And this Jesus changed the world. Uh, he even resurrected, not spiritually, not privately, a public resurrection. He resurrected from the grave exactly as he said he would. And this Jesus changed the world. And this man, this God who changed the world, he said the greatest commandment is that you would love God with all your heart with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And he emphasized the entirety of it because he spoke with all your in front of each one of those parts of our being. What are those parts of our being? With all your heart, what is your heart? Well, in Jewish culture, in Greek culture, in that day, your heart represented the core of your being. Uh, we still say that today, don't you? Probably wrote them on your Mother's Day card. Mom, I love you with all my heart, right? Uh, you don't mean the organ beating in your... No, you mean with all of your being. So we know what that means. But Jesus said, I also want you to love me with all of your soul. What is your soul? Well, your soul refers to your emotion, your feelings, right? Like you, you just were moved. And Jesus also said, I want you to love me with all of your strength. With all of your strength. What does it mean to love someone with your strength? Let me hear from you. How do you love someone with your strength? What does that mean? Do things for them with your abilities. Really good. Really good. So let's say, for example, you wanted to love me with all of your strength. What might you do? Well, you might type out an email. Hey, Pastor David, just wanted you to know. And a nice little loving note. You might write a card. If you really love me, you might make me something to eat, right? <laughs> I'm not fishing, by the way. If it sounded like that, I apologize. If you were going to make me something to eat, what would you make me? Try tip. Good call. Good call. You might make me something, I don't know, you might make me a pecan pie. <laughs> I 
And if you made me a pecan pie and you brought it to me, here's my question. Were you loving me with all your heart? Oh, for sure. That was, you know, it was just, you know, your being. I mean, you, were you loving me with your strength? Oh, for sure. You went to the store, you bought pecans and whatever else is in pecan pie. I have no idea. And, and you got, put it all together and you turned on the oven and you did all the things you do. I don't know how you make it, but you did it and there it is. And you made it look beautiful. You, you love me with your heart. You love me with your strength. Did you, did you love me with your soul? Was your emotion in it? Yeah, I want you to know. That's how I feel. I appreciate it. Did you love me with your mind? Hmm. What does that mean to love someone with your mind? How do you love someone with your mind? What does that even mean? Here's the problem. You love me with your heart. You love me with your soul. You love me with your strength. But I don't like pecan pie. <laughs> so I would say, oh, thank you very much. And it would touch my heart because I could see all of the love that was behind it but it would reveal, well, you don't know something about me, right? And here's what I would do with it. I would give it to my wife because my wife loves pecan pie. I don't like pecan pie. And so to love me properly, you have to love me also with what? Your mind. What do you like? And here's what I know about us. If you said, I'm going to love you with pecan pie. It's because you love pecan pie. <laughs> or if you said, I'm going to love you with tri-tip, it's because you love tri-tip. <laughs> and some of you guys got your wife for Mother's Day a new Makita drill. <laughs> it's because you love Makita drills, right? And what's interesting, uh, my son, I have a, one of my sons has a birthday on the 10th, and I started thinking about what I wanted to get him, and I started shopping for it, and I started picking out things that, that I like too, right? I mean, I, and it's just our nature, right? And no, no, loving with our mind means, wait, what do you like? And here's what Jesus said, in order to love me properly, I want you to love me with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all, all of your strength, but... I want you to love me with what? Your mind. I want you to know my ways. Jesus said, take on my ways and learn of me. For I am lowly. I am humble. I am tender of heart. And I give rest to all who come to me. Come and learn who I am. Emulate me. Walk in my ways. Uh, there, Jesus said, there are many in that day who will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do all kinds of great things in your name? Didn't I give money to charity? Didn't I serve over here? Didn't I do this? Didn't I do this? And didn't I do this? And Jesus said, I will say to them in that day, depart from me, I never what? We had no relationship. You didn't know me. You didn't know me. We cannot come to God with our own mind of what we think God wants. 
we have to learn what he wants. And what Jesus is telling us here is, this is the way that you love me. Love me first with your heart, right? Make sure it's from, and then love me with your mind. And we love him, the Bible tells us, because he first loved us. We begin to understand his great love for us, and it moves us. We begin to understand that God so loved the world that he gave himself. He gave his only begotten son. God became a man. Why would he do that? Why would he leave the splendor of heaven where his word was executed? He gives a command and it's obeyed and come to a world where he gives a command and it's not obeyed. And no one appreciates them. And people don't worship him. Why would he leave heaven and come to a world that doesn't do his will and come as a poor baby born in, in squalor that he might be raised up as a common person, that he might associate with everything that we have, that he might be approachable, that he might be available, and that then he might go to a cross and take the punishment of our sin, that you might be able to have divine forgiveness flowing freely into your life without any merit that you have to do of yourself just by asking, Lord, please forgive me. I messed up again. And it would flow freely. And then he would fill you with gifts of his spirit to build you. Why would he do it? Why? Here's why. So that you would understand his great love for you and say, I want to know a God who loves me like that. I want to know a God that loves me like that. This is his, and we see the simple purity of his love for us. It is amazing. Jesus said, God wants our heart. And I find this so astonishing. Somehow we know this to be true. Somehow we sense this to be factual. Somehow this matches our actual reality, what we live and experience every day. Do you know why? Because the Bible says that God's law is written on our hearts. It's written on our conscience. Somehow, intrinsically, we know that God doesn't want me just to go through religious activities. No, no, no. God's looking for more than that. He actually cares about what I think. That's an incredibly intimate relationship that my thoughts would matter to God. And that he would want me to have right thoughts. That he wants me to, to, to actually ponder what he's pondering and care about what he cares. That's, and yet intrinsically we know it. God's law written on our hearts. I want you to know this was not new revelation from God when Jesus said this. Jesus was simply quoting the Shema. Everybody say Shema. 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 Shema was the passage from Deuteronomy chapter 6 that every faithful Jew would quote twice a day. And here it is on your screens, Deuteronomy 6. Let me hear you read this. Uh, Shema, by the way, uh, is Hebrew for hear or understand or listen. It's the first word of the verse. That's why they call it the Shema. Understand is what it means. Hear with your being is what it means. And let's read it together. Let's read out loud. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Some great things here. Hear, O Israel, Shema, O Israel, Israel governed by God, right? That's what Israel means. Hear, you who are governed by God, and here's what he says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. A very powerful sentence. I wish we had time to fully unpack it. Let me give it to you quickly, though. Do you see how the first Lord is all capitals? That's not a typo. It means that in Hebrew, it was the covenant name of God and his people, Yahweh or Jehovah. The, the consonant name, uh, excuse me, the name of God that can't be pronounced, it was only written with consonants. Uh, it was so holy, right? It was the covenant name of God to Israel. Yahweh, our God. The word God there in Hebrew is Elohim. And Elohim is plural. El means God singular. Elohim means God plural. So we have Yahweh, our plural God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Yahweh, our Elohim, the Lord is one. The triune Godhead one God. Incredibly powerful. We could do a whole sermon just on that verse. But here's what he says. You shall love Yahweh, your Elohim, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. This is the Shema. It was recited, as I mentioned, twice a day by every faithful Jew. It was put... Have you ever seen a... a, a um, uh, what's it called? A mezuzah on the doorpost of a Jewish home. Have you ever seen that? And when you when they when they walk into their home, what do they do? They kiss it and they walk in their in their right. Guess what's inside that mezuzah? This verse. Uh, they would put phylacteries on their head, right? Uh, guess what was inside that phylactery? This verse. One of four scriptures they put in there. This is the main one. Uh, let's go on with the rest of the verse. Uh, Read it with me out loud. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. What's he saying? You should love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I want you to talk about it with your family everywhere you go. What's it look like? Well, it looks like when... Uh, moms, you're putting your kids to bed. You're putting them to bed, talking to them about God's love for them, about God's commandments and his instruction. It means dads, when you're coaching your son in Little League and he strikes out at home plate and he throws the bat on the ground and he walks back to the dugout all torqued, on the drive home, you talk to him about son. A man is not made by how far he can hit a baseball. A man is made by his character and how he builds up others instead of himself. 
and how he, he looks not only to what he wants, but he looks and cares more about what others need more than himself. And he's talking to him on the way, whenever he goes, whenever he rises up and whenever he goes down. This is what God was telling us to do. This is what it means to love him with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. Uh, let's go on. Read with me. Verse 8. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And hence the tradition of the mezuzah on the door and the phylactery on the head and the phylactery on the hand with God's word inside it. But can I tell you something? Tying it onto your forehead is missing the point completely. It means that when your son strikes out, it's, on, it's right there. You see it, you know what needs to be talked about. It means when you see someone pulled over and they're getting a, a drunk driving ticket and you say, hey, look, there's a thing God has established. He's established authority. And do you see, kids, what happening is there? Yeah, Daddy, what happened with that guy? Well, he didn't respect the authority that God established. He drank and drove when the authority says don't. And that's what happens when you don't submit to authority, when you don't respect authority. And we talk about them when we drive by the wayside and all these different kind of things. And this is not new revelation. Jesus simply quoted from the Shema. He's simply reciting uh, there, hey, what's the most important commandment? And I love it. Uh, this, this, this PhD comes to G. What's the most important? And Jesus says, it's written right there between your forehead. You recite it twice a day. It's on the doorpost of your house. I've written it on your heart. I've written it on your conscience. It's that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. And what's really cool to me here is Jesus is doing the very thing written in the Shema to this religious leader. He's teaching him on the way, on the roadside, in life. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. Teaching him, building him. Amazing. Here's a question for you. Why is loving God with our entire being so important to God? Why is loving God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, why is that so important to God? Let me hear from you. Why would that be the one thing that he said, hey, of all the commandments, why not don't have sex before marriage? That's the most important commandment. Don't be immoral. That's the most important commandment. Why? Why? Why this one? Why is this the most important thing to God? Let me hear from you. For your well-being, good answer. What else? Ah, oh, we do that. The other stuff will fall into place. Good answer. Really good answer. I want more. Let's get the shovel in deeper in the dirt. What else? I heard too many answers. Be real loud when you give it. To reassure us. Okay. What else? Covers everything. Okay. What else? There's still something I'm not hearing. I want something specific. Oh, we're getting close. Because this is how he loves us. He loves us, not partially. Not when he feels like it. 
with his emotion, with his, with his soul. No, no, no. He loves us all the time. He loves us not just in theory. No, he loves us with his strength. He demonstrates it. He demonstrated it on the cross and he demonstrates it regularly. He loves us with his entire being. And he wants us to love him that way in return. That's how he loves us. God loves us with all of who he is. So much so, I've already given it to you, that God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son. I loved you with all of my strength. I went to the cross, the Garden of Gethsemane. It wasn't my... my I had a feeling like I wanted to do this. No, I didn't want to do this. This cost me everything, and yet I love you with all of my strength. And that's why it's so important to us. God's love is real love. God's love is measured by what it gives us, not what it might gain from us. God's love is pure and holy. God's love is agape love. There's different kinds of love. There's eros love. Uh, these are different Greek words for love. Uh, in English, we have one word, uh, love, right? Like, I love pizza, and I love my wife, and, and, and I love lobster. Uh, uh, but hopefully, I mean very different things, right? And in Greek, they had more words to describe it. Most of you know this. Uh, they had eros. Eros means passionate, erotic love, right? Uh, and what's that motivated by? Wow, you look amazing. I'd like to have that. Wow, you look amazing. I'd like to have that. And, and there's a place for that, right, in marriage. But it's more selfish, I've got this need and you can meet it and it's more selfish what I get out of it. Uh, that's eros love. There's phileo love, which is more of a, an emotional love. It's like, hey, you like tennis? I like tennis. We should hang so we can play tennis. And it's good for you, but it's also what? Good for me. There's a selfish component into it, right? You like surfing? I like surfing. Hey, let's hang. You like shopping? <coughs> Equal opportunity offender. Uh, <laughs> and that's phileo love, right? But there's agape love that says, I love you regardless of what you do. It's reflected in a mother's love for her child. That mom is sleep deprived and yet the baby cries at 2 a.m. and mom gets up. And nurses that baby. And right when she thinks she's about done, he barfs all over her backside. <laughs> and she cleans him up and feeds him again. And right when she thinks he's about done, she goes to put him down and he pees all over her. And it starts at infancy and it doesn't get any better from there. <laughs> That is a love uncaused by the recipient. And that is the way God loves you. And while God is doing something here, it is so amazing. Love, agape, seeks a genuine response from the one it loves. That's what agape does. And so God doesn't say, I want you to go to church three times a week. I want you, sorry, Islam. I want you to pray five times a day facing east. God says, not interested. 
I'm not interested in forced obedience. God is giving us something called free will. And sometimes I wish he didn't give me so much of it. Because what he is looking for is a genuine response to his love for us. I'm going to love you regardless of how messed up you are. And I'm going to pour my love on you. And I'm going to show you my love in giving my son, in sending him, going to the cross, in taking your sins. And I'm going to pour out my love on you over and over. And I'm going to constantly, I'm going to be writing it on your heart, speaking to you all the time, trying to draw you to myself, regardless of how sinful you are. I'm going to try to bring you to me. And I'm just looking for a genuine response to my love for you. Wow. What an amazing God. What an amazing God. I am blown away by this. God is not interested in forced obedience. He gives us free will. And David, King David, was blown away when he meditated on this truth. King David, yeah, he was the king that God set up, that God blessed, the king of all of Israel. When Israel was in its zenith, when Israel was incredibly powerful, when Israel was the most powerful nation on the face of the earth, King David was the king over that kingdom. And David said, God, I want to build you a temple, a place where your people can come and worship you. And God said, that's okay. As a matter of fact, David, I'm going to build you a temple. And David said, what do you mean? He says, I'm going to have the Messiah come through your lineage. And I'm going to, I'm going to give you a name. He made the Davidic covenant with David. Wow, amazing. And David says, okay, well, if I can't build you a temple, I'm at least going to store up and gather all the stuff for the temple so that my son Solomon can build it for you. And that touched God's heart. God said, okay, that's good. And so David gave a message to all the people of Israel. This is 1 Chronicles 29. He gives a message to all the people of Israel. He says, hey, we're going to build the, the, we're going to build the temple, a place to worship our, our creator. And so the people gave willingly. They gave so much stuff, uh, silver and gold and all kinds of donations. And they gave, and David gathered it all for his son to build the, the tabernacle. And as all the people gave, David began to ponder it. And he offers this prayer in 1 Chronicles 29. Uh, it's an amazing prayer. He says, Praise be to you, O God, our Father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the majesty, and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom, and you are exalted as head over all. Wealth and power come from you. In your hand it is to give strength and to exalt and to give power to, to each, to all. And he says, but who am I? And who are my people? That I should be able to give to you so freely as this, so willingly as this. For all things come from your hand. And of your own hand, we have given back to you. Now, I know that was a mouthful, but it's worthy of real deep meditation. Here's what was happening. David was the king of Israel. And guess what kings collect from other people? Taxes. 
And do they give taxes willingly or by compulsion? Not willingly, it is forced obedience. Jason, give me your tax. Chris, give me your tax. And to each and every one, give me your tax. And if you don't pay your tax, Heather, where's your tax? You're late. You're fined. And now Heather still doesn't pay her tax. And so I go to Heather's mom. Where's Heather's tax? And she still doesn't. Now Heather goes to jail. It's forced. And David looks at this God and he sees what everybody gave and he says, what the heck? Who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give to you so what? Willingly as this. So freely. Simply from the heart. You don't want to give? No problem. Don't give. God only receives that which is given from the heart. And David was blown away at this free will uh, uh, giving uh, uh, that God allows of his people. Why doesn't he force us? Why doesn't he require it of us? Here's the answer. Forced obedience is not motivated from what? From love. And the only thing God wants from us is our love. And David says, Lord, of your own hand we give to you. We're simply giving you back what you gave us. You're amazing. We do it freely. You, you don't require it. <clears throat> uh, Jesus is making us into something great. This is Jesus' work in us. He loves us and we blow him off, we blow him off, we sin, we sin, and he continues loving us. We pee on him, we barf on him, symbolically if you will. We don't care, right? We do our own thing and he continues loving us in hope that one day we'll understand his love, be touched by it, and respond. And when we do respond, he changes us and we begin to change. This is Jesus building us into something great. This is Jesus building us into something selfless. That instead of me loving you for what I can get out of you, wow, you're, you own this company? I want to be your friend. Can we hang out? Yeah, what's my motive? I'm hoping you raise me up and give me a promotion and give me a job or give me some of your money or let me swim in your pool or something, right? Uh, it's not selfless at all. And Jesus is taking us from being selfish in the way we love to making us something great selfless in the way that we love. He's making us to love like he loves. This is the response that he's looking for in our love for him. Jesus wants to make us a people who have real love, both for God and for man. And uh, the scripture would tell us, First John would tell us, that is the evidence of our salvation. That if we don't love that way, we haven't been saved. If we can't love our brother who we see, the first John says, how can we love God who we can't see? Uh, you haven't been touched by him if you can't love your brother. Uh, John MacArthur, a great theologian, great pastor, uh, has a quote that I want you to read. Uh, let me hear you read this on your screens. Let's all read it in a thundering voice. God requires more than bare belief. James reminds us that even the demons believe that God exists. But instead of rejoicing in that belief, they shudder. 
the distinguishing mark of saving belief in God is love of God. Did you catch that? God is looking for more than just bare belief. Everything believes in God. I mean, it just, it's obvious. We might suppress that truth, but deep inside we all know there's not anyone who doesn't believe in God. There's no such thing as an atheist, by the way. Just someone who suppresses truth. We all know. But that's not anything. Even the demons believe and tremble. The distinguishing mark of saving belief in God is love of God. You see, when you understand God's love for you, the moment that you do, oh, it transforms you. And you only have this answer to give. I want to know a God who loves me like that. I've never been loved this way. Let's go on. Read the rest of what John MacArthur says. Read this with me. Faith in Jesus Christ is not characterized by a consuming love for him. Excuse me. Faith in, let's start over because I messed it up. Faith in Jesus Christ that is not characterized by a consuming love for him is not saving faith, but simply an acknowledgement of his divinity, such as even the demons make. In other words, if his love hasn't touched your heart to have, be a consuming love, to love him back with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you don't know his love. You just don't know it. And uh, Jesus' transformation work begins in our life the moment that we are born again. Jesus produces in us this new will, this new desire. He gives us a new life to love God. And he does this for everyone who is born again. And I remember when he did it to me, he got a hold of me. And in one day, my heart was different. And I never went back. And this is his work in our life. It's not something he does just for me. It's something he does for every single man. Uh, Jesus is so unique, so pure, so holy. Look at his instruction. Look at his teaching. And you will see he stands out like no other. Compare Jesus' message and compare Jesus' life to every other religious leader. And you will see that the contrast is shocking. Every world religion is centered on earning God's favor. Every world religion is centered on self-improvement or self-enlightenment or self-help or it's all about what you can do for you to become good to come to God. And Jesus gives an entirely different message. He says it's all about God's love for you and you just beginning to understand it and respond to it. Jesus is entirely different than every world religion. It's amazing. I want you to know that Islam knows nothing about a loving relationship with Allah. It's all submission and forced obedience, something that the true and living God is not interested in at all. Secular spirituality knows nothing about the love of God. It's all about self-help, which God is not interested in at all. And you'll notice that the, re the religious leaders of these false religions are very corrupt. I was reading an article this week about these yogi guys, you know, these, and they do the, the yoga and everything, and they're just all these uh, sex crimes that they've committed in these yoga clinics that they do. It just, it just like, it's a common thing, right? Like false religious leaders always have sex crimes that follow them at some point, right? It's just the way it works. You look at Muhammad. Uh, the holy prophet of Islam, supposedly, right? Uh, a defiled, disgusting man. He was a murderer. 
He was, he was base. He was a slave owner. He had between 13 and 15 wives. One of them, uh, Ahisha, I believe is her name, Ahisha, he took when she was six years old. He was a pedophile. And he consummated the marriage with her when she was nine. That's disgusting. And to avoid, uh, to deal with all the harassment and the, the complaints that he got for his absurd, lewd, crude, disgusting behavior, vile behavior, he proclaimed divine revelation for God, told him to do these things and pulled the God card to justify his his horrid actions. Sinful, sinful. Never think that Christianity and Islam are basically the same or Christianity and any religion is basically the same. They're not. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life and no one can come to the Father. No one can understand God. No one can enter into his presence apart from me. And he's amazing to look at. He loves us with a deep and a profound love that is unlike any love that we've ever experienced. He went to the cross so that we could be born again. And once we are born again, he enables us with spiritual gifts that we can begin to manifest his love in our lives. It's amazing. And man, I love walking in it. And I want to wrap up. I want to look at this last thing. So with profound wisdom, Jesus solved this snare that this religious lawyer sets for him. And now Jesus is going to flip the tables and he's going to question the religious leader, uh, the religious leaders. And in verse chapter 23, he's really going to get into it when we look in there in the weeks to come. Uh, but let's finish up with this next pe- uh, section, uh, verse 41. When the Pharisees were gathered to, uh, uh, I'm sorry, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them. So no more them asking Jesus all these questions. Now Jesus asks them a question. And he says to them, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Great question. Super important question. And let me explain what he's saying. They did not believe Jesus was the Messiah. He's not even talking about himself. He's saying, your belief about the Messiah, and they all believe the Messiah was coming sometime, your belief about the Messiah, whose son is he? By the way, the most important question on the earth. God will ask every man this question, what do you say about the Messiah? Whose son is he? So you might want to pay attention. (laughs) Most important question ever. And so Jesus asked, what do you think about the Messiah, the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, the son of David. Yeah, good answer. They're saying the Messiah is going to come through David. That's what was promised in the scripture. He's going to come through David's lineage, right? Verse 43, he, Jesus, then said to them, how then does David in the Spirit, or in other words, how does David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, call his son Lord? And now he's going to quote from Psalm 110, the psalm that uh, David wrote. Uh, Here's the quote. The Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, said to my Lord, Adonai, sit at my right hand. What? Yahweh said to the Messiah, sit at the right hand of God? What the heck? 
until I make your enemies your footstool. Or in other words, till I put all things in the universe under your feet. What the heck? Here we see that the Messiah is way more than a human. He is God himself. Right? God Yahweh is going to say to the Messiah, sit at my right hand, at the right hand of God, until I make your enemies your footstool, until I give you dominion over all of creation, both in heaven and on earth, everything. Verse 45, if David then calls him Lord, how is he, the Messiah, his son? No father would ever call his son Lord. Now, David's been dead for centuries, but uh, no uh, uh, father would call someone in his lineage his Lord, and yet David does. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, hey, listen, you got a problem. The Messiah is the son of King David, and he is also the eternal God. He's both. He's both. And he's bringing this religious leader to this point. The Messiah must be the son of David. You're right there. But he's also God eternal. He's both. And this is the question that God is going to ask every single person. Whose son is Jesus? And your answer is the most important answer you will ever give. Eternal life and eternal separation or eternal hell hangs on this answer Tell me why. Why? Because if he is the son of David, he's just a regular man. If he is the son of God, then he's God in the flesh. And if he's God in the flesh, I have to ask the question, why? Why would God become a man? And that would lead me to his redemptive work on the cross so that we might know his great love for us. Wow. And look what it says. Look what it says. Verse 46. And no one was able to answer him a word. They were just blown away. And from that day on, uh, did anyone dare question him anymore? Uh, Just incredible, incredibly powerful. I want to close with this. Uh, Jesus' love for his enemies is amazing. Do you see what he is doing here? Jesus' love for his enemies is amazing. As they are setting snares for Jesus to kill him, Jesus is seeking to save them and to give them eternal life. That is astonishing. Why is Jesus bring up this question of all things to bring up? Because this is the question that brings eternal life. And Jesus is trying to give it to them freely. Listen, you're not liking me, but it's because you're out of whack. Not because I'm out of whack. It's because you don't understand God's plan. You don't understand the scriptures. And he shows him from the Old Testament how the Messiah was fully man and fully God. And he's standing here in front of you. And if you would ask him, he would give you eternal life. Wow. As they're trying to kill him, Jesus is trying to save them. This is the amazing love of Jesus Christ. 
By the way, the Gospel of Mark tells us that this religious lawyer who asked Jesus this question about the great commandment so that he could snare him and, 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 and kill him, this lawyer, when he heard Jesus' answer, was so moved, he was touched in his heart, and he said, wow, Jesus, you have answered well. And he says a few words, and he has a total change of tone, and Jesus said verbatim, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Yeah. Now embrace me with your heart, and you're in, right? I mean, just you're in. And this is his amazing work. He's incredible. Even when we are against him, he is trying to reach us. He is trying to save us. He is trying to, I want you to know, God does not love us because we're good or because we're deserving. Uh, he loves us because he is love. He is agape. And his love for us is uncaused by us. I'm going to ask Kyle and the team to come back up. Think about this as we uh, just digest all of this. Jesus loves those who are trying to kill him so much that he tries to lead them to eternal life. And can I tell you something? He did the same thing for me. When I was an enemy against him, he was pursuing me. Romans 5.10 tells us that when we were enemies of God, Jesus went to the cross on our behalf. And if he went to the cross when we were enemies to him, how much more we will be saved by his what? By his life. What does that mean? Well, it means that he is, if he died for us when we were his enemies, if he was working to save us when we were his enemies, once we come to him, he is now ever living to make intercession for us in all of our sins today. You see, here's what I know about being a Christian. I mess up radically I know God's calling me to love selflessly but in my frailty I love selfishly I know God is calling me to be selfless but instead I'm often full of ego I know God is calling me to be holy but I'm often so sinful Paul would write it this way I delight in the law of God in the inward man, but in my actions, I delight in sin. I just continue to fall short. For that what I want to do, that's not what I end up doing. And that what I don't want to do, that what I say is bad and sinful, that's what I end up doing. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this bondage of death? And here's what we learn. If Jesus went to the cross for us when we were enemies, how much more he will live to make intercession for us now that we're his. May we not beat ourselves up. May we bathe in the grace of God. And may we allow his divine forgiveness to flow freely. For he just wants to pour his amazing love into us. It's not what you do for him. It's what he's done for you. And me, we merely respond in love to him for being loved so well. For we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weakness in that he was tempted in all points as we are and yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly before a throne of grace that we might find help in our time of need for he ever lives to make intercession for us. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And all I can say is shall we stand 
and shall we praise him and shall we worship him and shall we love him and shall we raise our hands to him and shall we come forward to the altar to display our love for him and just say jesus i need you i need you i need you you may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.